Alrighty guys, welcome back to Blitz Radio. Hope you're enjoying your O week. And we're joined by um, uni professor Rob Brooks. Mate, how are you going? I'm wonderful. Thanks so much for having me on Blitz. Yeah, absolutely. Now, would you like to introduce yourself to the people walking down the main walkway? Tell us what you do. I'm the professor of uh, evolutionary biology. Just make sure there are no children coming past. <laughs> I study sex and the effects that sex has on the lives that individuals lead. So most of my career I've worked on animals, on little animals that you can do experiments on. Nowadays we work on, on humans. We look at you know, why sex is so complicated, why is it so wound up with ideology and with politics. And um, yeah, we have a pretty good time doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And before we go into um, the awesome O-Week program that you guys have with Grand Challenges and everything, tell me a bit about where your, you know, your fascination with evolution and sex started like take me back maybe to high school but before then what sparked that when I was in school I, I grew up and was educated in South Africa during apartheid and that was a very theocratic state and so th you couldn't actually teach evolution in a public school a bit like where America is going to be in about five years probably <laughs> and um, and so it it because we couldn't study evolution and because South Africa is actually so rich with human evolution fossils um, and the universities are so strong in evolution, it was this massively transgressive kind of rebellious act on my part to be interested in evolution. It was kind of how I rebelled as a teenager, which I know sounds a little bit lame, but no, you know, I the politics of the I day. I completely empathize with that because I, w I grew up in a Christian high school and I was in a bit of a minority as a believer in evolution. Um, and so, yeah, I completely get what you're coming from. It there, sets you free. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it's just, it, it's it's a nice rebellious act, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. and and a somewhat intellectual one. So, um, yeah. so yeah, intellectual and went to, rebellion. Went to university <laughs> and discovered this is the stuff I really like. That was the most interesting because, um, actually, we were about. To, I'm going to plug my course because we're <laughs> about to start a brand new course. Registrations are still open. It's called BIOS 2500. It's Evolution and the Modern World. And we're going to explore what an understanding of evolution can teach us about obesity, population growth, um, ideology, why sex is complicated, uh, disease, car theft. All sorts of things like that. So it's going to be great fun. Exciting stuff. And I'm sure you explore a lot of that as well in the book that you wrote, Sex, Genes and Rock and Roll, which came out. You want to tell us a little bit about that? You know, what drove you to write the book? Well, I've always wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to... Um take what I do in the lab and in my teaching to the public because people are endlessly fascinated about sex obviously they're endlessly fascinated about evolution and what it means to be alive and to some extent the biological sciences and evolution in particular have been pushed to the side in the social sciences for most of the last century mm. um, and and biologists have been a bit complicit in this in that we've stepped aside as well and said oh, social and culturals over there biologicals over here and never the twain shall meet but of course, cultures affect us by changing our brains. Mm. And our brains and our bodies and our biology influences who we are and what we do through the medium of culture. And so Sex, Genes and Rock and Roll is really exploring that. And it's all the precursor material to buy us 2500. Although I'm not going to insist people buy my book. Or <laughs> love the sales, but that would be unethical. Uh, but nonetheless, in writing that book, many of these ideas came out. Yeah, that's really awesome. And have you ever had, like, you know, someone come up to you, maybe a student, you know, comment on the book, you know, give you, you know, a response on it that, you know, really surprised you? 
Absolutely, many, many times actually. I've had a couple of PhD students who are now in my lab, one's about to finish and one's just started, who actually came to me through my popular writing, uh, both the book and um, a column that I write for the conversation. On top of that, I've had a student stop me late last year and say, you know, Professor Brooks, you don't know me, but your book had a huge effect on me at a time when I really needed to. The student was estranged from their, their family for religious reasons and for reasons to do with the importance of thinking and of reason. Mm. And, you know, that happened to be the book that reached them. There are many, many books that could have reached them, Absolutely. but it happened to be that one. And I actually bumped into this person. And to have that influence as an academic on somebody who isn't there because they're compelled to be there for their course, but simply reading what, you, what you've written because they want to, is a hugely touching act. Tell yeah, me, um, I, I have a question. Oh, is uh, is mine going through? Yep, yep. Yes. Um, do you think that there's uh, too much of an ad adversarial role, say, between um, you know the science and evolution, all that, and between and between, say, uh, you know, religious institutions? Do you think that there's any type of compatibility that could be found there? It's a really interesting and a really difficult question. So the, one of the things that I'm interested in, not just from an evolutionary biology point of view, but also from the point of the view of the UNSW Grand Challenges program, is tribalism. Why do we um, gravitate or, or polarize into different tribes that are necessarily set up in an adversarial way? Now, there are many, many people who believe that um, an understanding of the universe and that an understanding of biologically who we are and what it means to be alive is necessarily an antidote to a religious, a mystical, metaphysical understanding of the world. There are people, particularly some philosophers, who don't think that. Um, my own position is that, you know, once you understand the world and, and accept that the world is understandable, then for me, it's, you know, th there is no need for religion in my life. Now, okay. you know, I think many people would take exception to that and we could argue about that till the cows come home. Exactly. But <laughs> there seems to be a dose-dependent effect of an, of an education, but particularly an education in the sciences and in biology. The more you learn, the less likely you are to be religious. And that's an, a dose-dependent effect that's, that's been replicated across many societies. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty fascinating. Now, we're just going to cut um, to a song, and then we're going to talk all about, you know, the Grand Challenges program that will be launching tomorrow. Yeah, tell us a bit about that, though, before we start. Well, the, the Grand Challenges program is a new initiative that the, um, the Vice-Chancellor brought in as part of his 2025 strategy, which students may or may not have heard about. You're definitely going to hear more and more about it um, <laughs> if you stay here at UNSW. But um, the Grand Challenges program is about uh, addressing and trying to find interesting and creative ways to break disagreements and to negotiate um, and also find solutions to the most pressing problems of our time. Yep, absolutely. Well, that sounds fascinating, and we're going to be talking a lot more about that after the break. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to Blitz Radio. Hope you're enjoying a really sunny O week. I'm joined here by Sam and Professor Rob Brooks. Now, um, oh, I'm coming through. I can actually hear my my voice reverberating this time. Yeah, hey. always a good time. Here we go. Welcome back, Sam. <laughs> yeah, really, really pleased to be down here and just enjoying the O week vibe. You know, we academics don't always get out of our office during O week, 
and it's great to have a good reason to come down and to see how student radio has progressed in the last 20 years, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's really Actually, exciting. you have some interesting, um, just briefly, you have some interesting uh, stories about your involvement in radio in Africa, I believe. I, uh, as I was saying just before the, the music break, we, um, I grew up in apartheid era South Africa, which in addition to being a theocracy that didn't like evolution taught in schools, also didn't like to have very tight control of the airwaves because, you know, otherwise various revolutionary movements could actually communicate their message. And so um, we were on um, Voice of Wits, which was the uh, university radio station, which was really just played to the canteen. And um, in 1991-92, sensing a loosening in the climate when Nelson Mandela was released, etc., we started broadcasting. Again, only about a 500-meter radius as far as I, I can remember the details. But um, the post office who were in charge of communications came around and shut us down. And there was nothing like the publicity that we got for that. It was a real boost to uh, campus radio in South Africa at the time. That's fascinating. But um, now uh, we go on to uh, talk about... Yep. About um, the UNSW Grand Challenges, Design for a Better World program, which kicks off tomorrow. Tell us a bit about that. Well, the Grand Challenges program is all about addressing the, the big issues facing society. And we started with climate change about a year ago. Middle of last year, we introduced refugees and migrants, which I'm sure you'll agree is another huge issue. How do we deal with the challenges presented by um, refugees and migrants in the current situation? How, and there are so many dimensions to this is actually a conference going on today that's partially organized um, by the Grand Challenges um, and it'll run through to, to Thursday evening um, about refugees and and the ways in which we approach questions um, to do with refugees. So that's the second Grand Challenge and then just at the beginning of this year we've started Grand Challenge number three which is inequality. Now I must mm. ask when you say inequality do you mean the general inequality of like most minority people are you speaking about a specific group so to speak like uh, women or, um, or uh, racial minorities or sexual that's a really interesting question Sam mm. the thing about the grand challenges is that it is a vehicle for the people at the university to come and to get involved and to do the things that they want to do that perhaps they weren't resources for or to find other people to find fellow travelers and like-minded individuals or enablers that can help them bring into the university um, you know, interesting projects, new initiatives, etc. So when we say inequality, we deliberately leave it reasonably open. I'm interested in inequality as an evolutionary biologist for two reasons. My own research interests, this isn't about my research, but my own research interests are very much about income inequality, which is a huge driver of the incentives in society. And you think, we could actually debate what is the optimum level of inequality, because on one level, people want to eliminate inequality, because fair on the other level, there are economists who make very credible cases that a reasonably high level of inequality creates incentives that drive societal progress. And somewhere in between those two extremes, there may actually be an optimum level of inequality. So I'm interested in income inequality. I'm also interested in gender inequality because obviously that's a very important... I mean, all, all types of inequality are very important, but it's very prominent because, because of something that's very fundamental evolutionarily. We have 50% men and 50% women. 
Actually, mm. it's fun. I believe it's uh, 51% women, isn't it? Well, it depends on where you are in the world and what the circumstances are. Very true. And it also depends on whether you're recognizing people as being more than just men or women. I see. Because, of course, there are many different expressions of gender. But the sex ratio at birth is about 104 boys to every 100 girls in a society where there's nothing wacky going on with sex ratios. And we could mm. talk all day about wacky things going on with sex ratios they're not wacky in the funny sense they're incredibly tragic but that also happens yeah definitely and in, in gearing up for tomorrow's um grand challenge launch you did, you guys did an insomnia event which was um like a grand challenge program that you had previously um so and you basically got like 12 academics to tell you you know what keeps them up at night so what was you know what were some of the more interesting stories that oh that was a fabulous event it was real show business and i think it it did talks and intellectual activity in a way that the university hasn't done before, no university's done before. It was more like TED or something out of Silicon Valley than something traditionally out of an Australian university. Um, Professor Richard Holden, who uh, is the lead of the Grand Challenge on Inequality, together with Professor Ros Dixon, they both actually spoke. Richard spoke about network capital. So what is it about people who are highly connected with each other, that those people that, that can bring difficult projects into being, those people that can you know, leverage an enormous amount of money and often accumulate a huge amount of wealth on the basis of the connections that they have. How do we recognize that? How how do we take the good from that and yet at the same time kind of tax the privilege of that mm. in a way that doesn't kill the golden goose? That was fascinating. Mm. I think one of the most interesting was um, Professor um, Helen Christensen who spoke about using apps, using app-based interventions on HSC students um, to circumvent or to, to, to avoid um, a lot of mental health issues that people face in school, but particularly at that HSC about to graduate to, to um, possibly go on to university or to the next thing in their lives time, which is a very vulnerable time. Right. So Helen's from the Black Dog Institute. Yeah, see, I find that really fascinating because a lot of people would say that, you know, people spending too much time on their phones is a cause of a lot of, you know, mental health issues, but to reverse that and use that in a really positive way, I think that that's really fascinating. Well, it's absolutely right. I mean, I don't think we know yet whether it's the, the phone that's causing the mental health issues or the mental health issues that are causing the phone use mm. or what the complicated recipe is. And it's probably a multi-cause, one of these really juicy problems that academics love to dissect. But of course, it's got huge human ramifications. As a parent of a high school child and a, an upper primary school child, you know, I just watch these digital natives operating and go, is this a good thing or isn't it? I don't even know how to assess that. Yeah, and see, that's the thing, and that's like a phrase that comes up quite a lot is the, you know, the digital native and how you being, obviously from a different generation, you're looking at it from the outside and from, you know, you would argue sometimes a less and more biased perspective on times and what's going yeah, on. You know, you wonder what's best for your children, but at the same time, you know, you, re you have to realise that the world is not what it was mm -hmm. when, when I was a teenager in the 1980s. I mean, what my parents had to be concerned about was, you know, swearing in rap records. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not like that anymore. Watching MTV. Mm. I don't think MTV's been a thing for quite some time now. Is that right? Yeah. Which is quite sad because I really do miss those 80s, 90s videos from MTV. They're quite classic. I think uh, many of them are still available on the YouTubes. Is the YouTube still a thing? The YouTube is definitely still a thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, my, yeah, young people, answer this for me. My son watches other people playing computer games on YouTube. Uh, oh, what yeah. is that all about? Is that not the dullest thing you could possibly do? It's about the reactions, though. It's about the seeing humans express opinions about experiences that they, have, they themselves have experienced. It's about connection. Ah, thank you for explaining that to me, Sam. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm just going to completely combat that and say I do think it is the dumbest thing oh. as well. So I've got to be with Rob on this one. Oh, great ally. <laughs> thank you very much. So, yeah, I, the Grand Challenges program, we're actually looking for Grand Challenge number four at the moment. And mm. this is actually quite a democratic process. It's not democratic in that people get to vote. It's democratic <laughs> in that they get to, get to make suggestions to me and then I get to socialize as they call it those suggestions with the you know various parties in the university and then we get to decide i'd really like it to be something along the lines of 21st century technology so that mm. includes video games and youtube use and um but also artificial intelligence which is changing employment is changing the way that we do business it's changing our relationships um, gene editing crispr gene editing is just this massive technology that has huge dystopic potential so mm. how do we incorporate all of those into a grand challenge with a pithy name that's like no more than two words. If anybody can come to me with that name, <laughs> then I'm all for it. I'm, I'm happy to, you know, yeah, give them enormous credit and glory. Yep, glory is on the table, guys. Repeat. Um, so, yeah, but thanks, Rob, for coming in. And we've got some awesome events um, happening actually right at the moment. So, we've got um, uh, Rethinking How Refugee Research is Engendered. So, that's on refugees and migrants that's happening on the Kofa campus in Paddington. That'll run until 5 p.m. today. So, go check that out. Uh, we've also got the Student Hackathon, which is happening like at the moment um, at the Michael Crouch Innovation Center on campus. That's also running. Yeah, tell us about that as well. Well, this is a, a challenging inequality um, hackathon, so it's one of the first initiatives in the Inequality Grand Challenge, and we have students working on problems. I haven't been down there yet today, but we have students working on problems to do with inequality, trying to um, produce, um, you know, business ideas or applications um, that can then challenge inequality on campus but also in society in general. Perhaps the most exciting thing, and I think there's plenty of spaces left if people want to register, um, is tomorrow we have the Design for a Better World Grand Challenges event, which is a design event. It's actually going to run for a whole semester. And tomorrow is the start of it. Now, if you can't make it tomorrow at 10 a.m. in the Michael Crouch Innovation Center, that's okay. But it would be really good to see you there because you'll get to meet the leads of all the Grand Challenges. You'll get to meet uh, Dr. Rebecca Labard, who is the, um, the head of um, Students as Partners Initiative, which is something out of the Pro Vice Chancellor Education's office, um, who's going to help us at Grand Challenges incorporate students into the design of the Grand Challenges program and make it not just something that we sort of ask students' opinions about or perhaps consult them with somewhere along the lines, but really build students into what we do in Grand Challenges from the very beginning. And that's what the Design for a Better World project is about. And it's a semester-long one, and people actually get credits. 
Mm, that's really awesome. And I think it's just such a great initiative um, for people that are really looking, you know, to, to get a little bit, bit political with it and social and to tackle issues that they're really passionate about. I think it's a great now, I mean, being political in this rather volatile political, in this rather volatile landscape at the moment is more important than ever. I mean, we're going through a, a very interesting, rather terrifying change in terms of dynamics. And it's very important, I think, that we, that uh, more young people, you know, get involved in that. Think about that. Um, figure out how it all affects them in the future. Absolutely. I mean, everything is political. But if you're not concerned about climate change, if you're not concerned about migrants and migration and the plight of refugees and how that's changing societies, if you're not concerned about income inequality and gender inequality, then you're really m missing out on an enormous number of things that are going to change your world just in the period of time that you're at university, certainly over the period of the remainder of our lives. These are huge issues. I mean, and it's not even about being an SJW. It's just about opening your mind and thinking about these things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I always worry about the SJW oh, thing. I know it's absurd, <laughs> isn't it? What's wrong with worrying about social justice? If, you, if you're inured to social justice, if you're happy to accept social injustice, then what are you doing at a university? Precisely. Oh, exactly. But, um, yeah, thanks, Rob, for joining us. And once again, if you'd like to um, go to the Grand Challenge launch event, tomorrow. That's from 10 to 11.30 a.m. at the Michael Crouch Innovation Centre on campus. But Rob, yeah, thanks for coming in. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Jason, Sam, thank you so much. It's been so much fun being on student radio again.